The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to our good news segment. I so love doing these. You know, joining me here today is Deborah Hersman, President, CEO, the National Safety Council featured on NBC News Channel, Fox News, CBS This Morning, and other radio and television networks. Why? Because uh, guess what? She's got a very important message. Listen, a vision for achieving zero roadway deaths by 2050. I love this vision for somebody like me that knows what it's like to be in numerous car accidents, none of which I saw coming. You know, the question is, even with that, what can I, what can we do differently? Deborah, thank you for joining me here today. This is a very, very important message because I got to tell you, you know, the traffic on the highways and the uh, smaller roads, it is not getting any less. That's right. Uh, we Our population's growing, the vehicle miles traveled are growing, and so we see more congestion on the roadways. And unfortunately, what we're also seeing is more fatalities and injuries. Yeah. And so what we've got to do is reverse that trend and really recognize that we have the ability to bring those numbers down. This is like the moonshot 50 years ago when we said we want to put a man on the moon and Mm -hmm. return him safely to Earth. It seemed impossible, but we did it. And I think on this one, 2050 uh, is 30 years away. We can do this too. Yeah. And, you know, I actually am 100% with you for two reasons. One, uh, awareness is the first step, but technology is adapting, evolving oh so quickly when it comes to how do we stop the vehicle? How do we get more warnings? How do we, how do we, how do we? What role do you believe uh, auto technology will provide us with? So we think technology is one of three critical pieces to get us to zero fatalities by 2050. The first one is doubling down on what works. So it's the things that we know that make sense, like Washington State has a texting ban, has a motorcycle helmet law, has a 60-mile-per-hour urban speed limit. We know that those are things that are important. We've got to keep doing those, and every state needs to do them. Um, The second piece is that technology piece that you mentioned. The reason why we can see zero as a possibility in 2050 is truly because of the technology. Today in our cars, we have things like automatic emergency braking, lane departure warning, blind spot monitor, These are available and have been available on cars for years. Those three technologies, if every car had that technology, we would save 10,000 lives every year. And we're not even talking about fully automated vehicles, which is likely something that we will have by 2050. It's not something we'll have next year, but in 30 years, we'll likely see automated vehicles on our roads. Yeah. And, you know, I'm actually with you on that. I think it's going to be way sooner than that, especially now with nanotechnology being implemented. I mean, we're talking about technology, computers, the size of something you can't even see. And so there's so much. I I want to get back to something you said. You know, we have, thanks to um, 
thanks to the moms out there against drunk driving, thanks to them way back, what it seems like yesterday, but it was actually decades ago, where we have now stepped up and there are laws all over the country. Some people are debating this question. Is texting the equivalent to driving under the influence? And I got to tell you, um, for somebody that has been sideswiped, run into in the back of my car, uh, and the one common denominator is somebody's cell phone sitting there on the seat, I got to tell you, I think it's it's serious problem we have in this country. And you're not alone. There are a lot of people that agree with you. April is actually Distracted Driving Awareness Month. And so uh, we've got a lot of free resources and materials for folks on distracted driving. But it's not just what we're bringing into the cars with us. It's what's in the cars as well. There's a lot of infotainment in the cars. And so just because things are convenient, whether it's ordering a cup of coffee or um, searching through your playlist, we want to make sure that drivers' attention is focused on the road, not on entertaining themselves or uh, shopping or voice-to-text. You can do those things when you're not behind the wheel. We lose 100 people every day in motor vehicle crashes on our roadways, and we have got to do better. This week, there's a lot of news about the fatality that occurred on Southwest Airlines this yep. week. That was the that was the first domestic aviation fatality since 2009. And we should be just as outraged about the 40,000 fatalities that occur every year on our roadways, but we are not. We're complacent about those deaths, and the losses that are felt by those families are no less significant. And so we have got to prioritize safety on our roadways and not make it an afterthought. Well, I got to tell you, I want to make a plea to the moms out there if I could. I'm not saying that dads are not involved in this, but I know that you you all uh, are listening to this because you are the fastest growing segment of anyone out there when it comes to cell phones, smartphones, and listening to radio and podcasts. Here's the thing that I want to say to folks, and I think you're saying the same thing. It's got to start in the household with the things that we know we have control over. Because I'm not talking about the random weird accident like we heard on Southwest, right? I mean, and by the way, hats off to the pilot. She was amazing to even put that plane down, right? Amazing. But, you know, we can do better on our roads. We've got to start educating our, our families at a very young age about this. Absolutely. And I will tell you, we can change culture, whether it's smoking or using child safety seats. These are changes that we have seen in our lifetime. And I would say talking to those moms out there, and I'm one of them, I've got three kids, two are uh, driving right now. Um, you are modeling the behavior that your kids are going to replicate. And so you have got to recognize that from the time that they're in those child seats, they are watching you. And so talking on the phone, texting, it doesn't matter if it's handheld or hands-free, um, it is distracting you from the driving task. And so people really need to recognize that one of the most dangerous things that we do all day is get behind the wheel of a car. We've got to disconnect and focus on the task at hand. There's always going to be time to engage on those other things. Um, it's rude when you're on your phone and you're eating dinner with somebody, but it's deadly when you're on your phone and you're behind the wheel. 
Uh, yeah. And uh, by the way, I know you guys are going to text me and email me. It's uh, Tammy Jo Schultz was the pilot. Okay. Number one message from you to the ears of the people listening to this show. If you had to pick three things you wanted to say to people, I know these interviews are like so short, right? Um, what are the three things at the top of your list? Wear your seatbelt. Oh. Don't, dri- don't drive impaired, whether it's alcohol or drugs, and put your phones down. Yeah. Um, listen, Road to Zero Coalition, I want to know how do we find out more information and how do we encourage our local legislature, uh, legislation to, to, to like be more aware of this? Because I agree with you. There are some states in the United States that are doing great things. There are other states in the United States that won't even recognize that this is a problem. So how can people find out more? And what is it that we can do at an advocacy level here? So great question, and I've actually got a great solution for you. If you visit NSC, National Safety Council, visit nsc.org slash road to zero, you can download our report. And in the report, there's a summary, and it says what can be done at the federal, at the state level, at the local level, what auto manufacturers can do, what insurers can do. And so everybody can see what the path is and what needs to be done to make this happen. Just like getting a man to the moon, it's going to take leadership, a commitment of resources, and technology to make this happen. And don't you think, though, too, just like we saw with uh, MAD, you know, Moms Against Drunk Driving, uh, don't you think, too, that we could also do something with the grassroots movement here? I love that we're, we're really hitting the top here and getting some things done. But don't you think, too, that if moms knew what you're talking about today— and how many people uh, die uh, on our national public roads, roads every year? Uh, I think they'd be more aware and do something about it. Yeah, the great thing is, is that uh, the best action that people can take is actually at the local level. Um, yeah. And when when we think about uh, parents, um, moms, uh, you you know if you have a teenage kid, you don't actually rest. You don't put your head down until you hear that garage door open at night and you know they're home safe because you worry about them out on the roads. But cities are doing a great things. Vision Zero cities are instituting changes, designing safer roadways so you don't have those intersection crashes, those high-speed T-bone crashes, putting in roundabouts. You may have more fender benders as people negotiate the roundabout, but you won't mm-hmm. have the fatal crash. Um, cities are also reducing speed limits, creating bike lanes. There's a lot that we can do at the local level, and I'll tell you, constituents and, and uh, voters are the most powerful asset that we have. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you one thing that most most drivers absolutely uh, appall. They think it's appalling. I think it is brilliant. And it because, uh, believe it or not, there are fatal crashes that can have during an intersection and a stop sign and or a light. And we've seen people slow down here in Washington state with these cameras they're putting in at these stoplights, right? Uh, you know, you maybe think, oh, they're doing it because they just want to, you know, issue more tickets. But I'll tell you, people are slowing down at those intersections. You're absolutely right. And we've seen it be very effective in other countries. The U.S. is trailing other industrialized nations. They have speed cameras. They have red light cameras. They work and they change behavior. 
Uh, I want to ask you this question on, on, uh, again. Is there an age group we should be talking about here? You know, I think we have a perspective on, you know, who are, who, what kind of folks, the, the age groups of people driving, crashing, and the leading cause of death? Young people are the age group that are most affected. This is the leading cause of death for people 5 to 24. Mm. Mm. Uh, I got to get back to something else you said. Look, I've been a motorcycle rider since before I could literally drive. Uh, my first license was a motorcycle license. I come from a motorcycle family. Uh, it is the most insane thing for me to understand how anyone in this day and age would get on a highway at 65 miles an hour without a helmet. Uh, I just want to ask you, um, is this an area we've made any progress in? And is there more, more progress to make in that one, especially with motorcycles? Absolutely. This is a huge risk area. It's one of the recommendations that the Road to Zero Coalition has made. Um, because we actually have states that are repealing their helmet laws. And so fortunately, yes. Washington State does have a helmet law, but many other states do not. So we are not trending in the right direction when it comes to uh, motorcycle helmets. But bicycle helmets, um, we see bicyclists being one of the uh, areas where we see fast-growing fatalities. Pedestrians is another area. And so when we look at vulnerable road users, pedestrians, Cyclists and motorcyclists are right at the top of the list. And so we've yeah. got to actually, look out them. You know why that makes total sense to me in the state that I live in? Because we are going out of our way to build bike lanes, bike lanes everywhere. And I'm not saying that that's not a good thing to do, but there's something about building a bike lane that I think we should really do differently in our roads. I don't think that we can literally put down the regular white paint on a bike lane and expect people to even know that that's a bike lane. I, I really hope we call for something innovative in our bike lanes so that people can see that this is really a bike lane. It's not like a curb. Yeah, so there's a lot of work being done in this space. Um, a lot of organizations are focused on it, whether you separate the bike lanes from the main roadway or you put parked cars between the active road lanes and the bike lanes. Yep. There's lots of different ways to do this, but at the end of the day, we've all got to look out for each other and keep yep. each other safe. That's how we'll get to zero. Thank you for today. Please give out the website. And one last question, what's your personal message? And thank you for getting out there and taking the, West, uh, the message out there. This is so important. Thank you so much. It's great to hear someone so passionate about road safety. And you can visit uh, nsc.org slash road to zero for more information. Have a safe day. Yes, you too. Hey, we're going to take a short break, everyone. We'll be right back. Tune in to Lucid Planet Radio with Dr. Kelly Neff. This hit show will illuminate your senses and empower you beyond your daily stressors and hardships. Renowned psychologist and author Dr. Kelly will captivate you with far-reaching topics and amazing guests as you wake to the greatest version of yourself. Learn to tap into your intuitions, think critically about our world, heal emotional and psychological wounds, and follow your passions to live your dreams. The Lucid Planet, welcome home. Visit lucidplanetradio.com for more information. 
Hey, everybody. Now, listen, you all have heard me talk about my roots growing up. I had a very interesting and eclectic childhood. On the one hand, I'm a girl from the Bronx, New York. On the other hand, I grew up with a stepmom from the deep, deep south. If you're wondering how deep, just Google Victoria, Virginia. And so when I think about the music that played in our house, it was very clear to me at a very young age, I was being introduced to some of the best storytelling on the planet. And today we're talking with Lauren Marino about the queen of country music, uh, the one and only Dolly Parton. Lauren, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, you know, Dolly, right? I mean, everybody on the planet knows Dolly Parton. But for yes. me, well, they, they, yes. yeah, like my mom would say, honey, Dolly Parton. And so today we're talking about somebody that we're honoring as you are honoring Dolly, correct? Yes, absolutely. It's it's a love letter. My book is a love letter to Dolly. Yeah, yeah. But it's uh, also there. It's it's a love letter to Dolly, an homage to her. Mm-hmm. But it's also taking all of the things that she has done in her life and celebrating them and saying, what can we all learn from her? What can we learn from Dolly Parton? And people, while everyone seem, everyone knows Dolly or thinks that they know her, they know of her, they know her for a variety of things. Um, I really, in doing my research, dug deep into her life and her work and found that there is such a depth, there's so much more to her than I think most people realize. And for a young girl who is the fourth of 12 children who grew up in a two-room cabin at the foothills of the Smoky Mountains with no electricity or running water, who, you know, when she was born, that her father didn't have enough money to pay the doctor, so he uh, paid with a bag of cornmeal. For her to go from that to becoming a an international superstar and an icon, um, a huge performer, singer, songwriter, uh, but also a woman, an entrepreneur, a businesswoman with an empire of you know over six hundred and fifty million dollars, but also a huge philanthropist, mm-hmm. a huge literacy advocate. I guess I I really wanted to say what is this woman made of? What does she have or how does she think that made her accomplish so many things in her life? Like what gets you out of that cabin and on, you know, to succeed in the way that she has succeeded. And, and at the end of all of that, to not come out of it, uh, self-absorbed and to not come out of it, um, self-aggrandizing or uh, using your celebrity uh, in negative ways, but to to be a role model, to become a role model and to really stay authentic in your desire to lift people up and to not lose yourself along the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's been going for five decades 
She did not succumb to alcoholism or drug addiction. She did not, you don't hear about her having affairs. You don't hear about um, her talking poorly about other people. And I don't think I've ever heard anyone else talk poorly no. about her. No. So, so what makes a person like that? That's what I wanted to explore a bit in the book and say, how can we, what does she have? And how can I have some of it too? How can I emulate uh, and learn from her as a role model? Yeah, I'm so glad you've written this book for a lot of reasons. One is, you know, if you look at what you just described as her background, you would be looking at my mom. You know, she had her first child at 12, her second child at 13 in the Deep South. You know, no, uh, and you know, that situation in the home that you described, uh, that didn't go away. Even when my mom remarried my dad, you know, we went to visit my grandparents down on this farm that had an outhouse and a, a potbelly stove to cook. But there's something about this that you talk about in the book that comes across so beautifully, and I hope it's not lost. And that's humility. There's a level of humility that my mom would talk about when she talked about Dolly and, and would talk about her as if she knew her. And I can't remember right. when, but the, the Whitney Houston song, that wasn't the first time that, that Dolly wrote. I heard that song originally back in the 70s, I think because my mom yes. would like play it. And many people don't even know that she wrote that uh, the song, I Will Always Love You. She's so That's humble. right. A lot of people don't. Yes, she wrote it when she was on the Porter, you know, her big break was being on the Porter Wagner show yeah. when she was, you know, in her early 20s. And after seven years, she wanted to go out and do her solo career. So she wrote that song for Porter. And she made it, it, it became a huge hit with her own recording. And, um, but this was before she really had hit it big or was well known. There was a time when Elvis came to her and wanted to record mm -hmm. the song. And, uh, she was so excited and was ready to go into the studio and meet him and watch him sing it and record. And the night before, um, Elvis's manager called her and said, you know, Elvis doesn't record any songs unless he gets half the royalties and a writing credit. So, and, and Dolly just burst into tears and she said, but this is one of the most mm -hmm. important songs in my catalog um, for me. And I just, I cannot do that. So she turned down Elvis, mm -hmm. which um, for, for a young, you know, up and coming female singer at the time, that was really a strong statement to make, but she felt that um, she she couldn't do that. She couldn't compromise herself in that way and give away her her creativity and her creative rights. And it ended up paying off for her because the song was recorded many times and ultimately became a huge, huge yeah. international hit when Whitney Houston did it. Yeah. Um, but you know, going back to her her uh, sense of humility. Yeah. She really feels that she is. Um, she has a very deep spiritual life yeah. and a deep, you know, a, a deep creative life. And she gets up every morning at four o'clock in the morning when it's quiet and spends time praying and doing affirmations. 
and making out her to-do lists and, you know, starts writing her songs. She kind of, you know, she really feels that she has a personal responsibility to share her gift with the world. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that's incredible. That's an amazing thing. Well, and your book, really, what you're doing is you're sharing some information and, uh, you know, information that goes beyond this is about Dolly. What what I love about what you're bringing to the forefront is, you know, this idea of what would Dolly do? And the question is really beyond that. What would Dolly do and what can we do? You know, those of us that have had moms, like my mom, it's not a surprise that that you're talking to somebody now that launched uh, the largest positive talk radio network in the world. You know, we're called the Disney of radio. And people ask me where I get that from. And it's really clear. My mom and my mom, her really recognition of Dolly Parton in her life to instill on us positivity and humility. What do you want us to know about this book? And also, I know everybody listening is going to want to know how to find out more, how to get a copy of the book. But there are some very important takeaways from your perspective in the book. Can you share them, please? Well, I think... um First of all, she dreams big. She yeah. was she she always believed in herself, and she she never felt that her life circumstances um, defined her. She had a you know she was an independent person, and she said, "I'm going to do the hard work yeah. and have the grit to go make my dreams come true." And she's also you know so she, she's deeply creative. She has a very disciplined process for that. But she also, uh, she's been married to the same man for 50 years, <laughs> and most people don't know that. And he stays out of the spotlight, but she has this sort of family life and support system that is always there for her, even though she's traveling all over the world. She's had the same best friend since they were in, um, I think, in first grade they met. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it keeps her down to earth. So she stays true to her roots. She stays down to earth. She's disciplined. She's gritty. Um, and she works like crazy. And she's highly she's incredibly, successful. Highly successful. She's highly successful. And very women but, and, were and, not highly yeah. successful, generally speaking. She is a forerunner. That's right. right. You know, That's right. She was a trailblazer. Yeah. And she's opinionated and she's um she took all of the things that were supposed to work against her and she used them to her benefit. She turned them to her benefit and um it really makes one think whatever my circumstances are, I can I can come out of this. I can come out of this with a positive attitude, with positive thinking, with discipline, with hard work. Um, I don't have to be a victim of my circumstances. Uh, I can choose how I'm going to respond to this and really, um, you know, and look at what I do in the world as a way to give back to the world. Mm -hmm. So that's, um, Mm -hmm. I would say that's probably a a brief summary of the takeaway. But, you know, there's a lot more in there and there's lots of great anecdotes about Dolly. Um, 
as well as the life lessons that, you know, we can pull from her life, an example. Well, I think, first of all, let me thank you for writing the book. I know these are short interviews, so you're certainly welcome to a longer interview with us um, because this is, a, this is an important conversation about where do we begin to learn humility, to learn love, to learn how to be in the world. And, and how is it that these messages and the timing of you writing this book, really, you know, these messages are so important in the world today. So important. Yes. Um, yes. One last question. Where do we go to get the book? How do we find out more? And what's your personal message? What would you like to leave us with today? Well, I think, I mean, you... You can buy the book on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, at uh, Target.com, um, Urban Outfitters, uh, online, um, Books a Million. Really, it's at any Walmart, Sam's Club. It's, okay. it's really pretty much, um, all, you know, it's in all of the books. It should be in the bookstores. And certainly, if you can't find it in a bookstore, you can find it online somewhere. Um, so, you know, it just came out yesterday, so there's plenty of copies out there. And I think my personal message is, you know, sort of the, like the way that Dolly impacted you, she really impacted me on a personal level and as a, as a woman um, and, and as a newly single mother who also lost her job and had to start over. She, Dolly inspired me and I think showed me that I can still be my spunky, independent, younger self, no matter what life has thrown my way, and that I can rise above and with the right uh, level of discipline and work um, and love for what I do, that I can reach people and I can help myself. So I think that's probably my message. Yeah. You can always uh, help yourself. And you know, my mom has passed on. And I got to tell you, I can still hear her singing uh, and dancing and tapping her feet to Mule Skinner Blues. I can hear, I can oh, hear there, there's a line in that song, you know, that, uh, uh, that you just never forget. And I never, I remember this. You know, and she would say to us, girls, you can throw your bucket down. Just throw it down, girls. Just throw it down. And that is something we grew up with. Thank you so much for today. Thank you for your Thank time. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad you're a big fan, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> yep. I'm you, right. Mom it really instilled in us girls these principles that were so near and dear to her. And she was as humble as, Darley, Dar, uh, as Dolly Parton, but also she taught us perseverance. You know, she yep. taught us all yes. how to go from it's homelessness important. to success. So thank you very much. Wow. Thank Great you. Great story. Thank you. All right, all right. everyone. We're going to take a short break. We'll see you in a few minutes. Teal, founder of The Healthy Edge, is bringing you the hit show Healthy Edge Radio, living with power, passion, and purpose. Amber provides the support and tools necessary for you to finally release the weight and emotions that are hidden beneath the weight. Tune in each month on Transformation Talk Radio. For more information on how you can take the next step with Amber, visit GetTheHealthyEdge.com.
Hey, everybody, welcome to our good news segment. Have you ever wondered whether or not you might want to become an organ donor? I know for somebody like me, I checked the box on my uh, driver's license many, many, many years ago. And I've gotten asked that question more times than not anytime I brought it to the forefront of my personal journey. Today, though, Dr. John Friedewall is joining us here today, Medical Director of Kidney and Pancreas Transplantation at Northwest Memorial Hospital. Today, we're asking the question, as April is National Donation Life Month, should I become an organ donor? Uh, Dr. Friedewald, thank you for joining us here today. You know, it's an interesting question. And every time I share on air that I am an organ donor, I always get asked the question, how did you come to do that? Now, today's show is so you can talk to the fact that lives are being saved here. Tell us about where we are in the evolution of organ donation and how important it is for us to understand. Right. So thanks for the opportunity to be here. First of all, um, it is Donate Life Month, and we want to get the word out there about the importance of organ and tissue donation. Um, most people know about the ability to sign up to be an organ donor when they die um, through a registry or through uh, on your driver's license. But what people may not know is you can actually donate an organ while you're still alive. And some of mm-hmm. the focus of this month is to living organ donation. So you can donate yep. one of your kidneys or part of your liver and save someone's life while you're still here. Yep. Yep. And I think that's one and- of the most important things to talk about right now because we have an old let's just say an old perspective on what's involved, uh, what the risks are. And most people don't even know that this is actually out there and available. And I think that's what we're doing here today is we're educating and informing the public, right? Absolutely. There are 116,000 Americans in need waiting on the list for an organ transplant. Of those 116,000, almost 100,000 are waiting for a kidney transplant. And again, the kidney is the most commonly donated organ, both deceased and living donors. Now, some people say, I want to help out. I'm a blood donor and I want to do more. How do I do this? I don't know anyone who needs a transplant. And the answer is nowadays it's becoming more common to be a non-directed donor where you go to a transplant center, donate your kidney or part of your liver and save someone's life who you don't even know. Um, And that uh, is a great way to continue to give back. Um, Most transplants do happen to someone you know from living donors, but but it's becoming more and more common for these non-directed donations to happen. So here we are. And we, there are more medical television shows out there right now than I think I've ever seen in my entire lifetime, to be honest with you. And many of them now are featuring, uh, one of the top hit shows that are out there now, you know, is featuring the whole process. I think we learned more from uh, organ donation in that one television show than most people knew ever even existed. How helpful is, is it to have our pop culture and and what's going on in the media be mostly aware of this, but also be aware in a correct way? That's a great point. I think it's, it can be a double-edged sword. I think we want to make sure that people know about uh, how organ donation saves lives and affects people's lives. And tissue donation also can really improve the lives of many people. But there is that, uh, you know, with 
oftentimes these stories are sensationalized because they need to be a little more dramatic. And so sometimes myths can be passed along about organ donation that aren't necessarily reflecting the, the truth of what happens. The tissue in organ donation is safe uh, and that uh, you can save uh, in effect up to dozens of lives with a single donation. So what are what do you think is most important to know? For example, many people they don't really fully understand how the process works, what the recovery period is. And then, th then there's the question between organ and tissue. Um, these are right. things that are really important to really know about, or at least know where to find out more about. Absolutely, so starting with living donation, I encourage everyone to get better educated about it. And one of the ways to do that is through our website, transplant.nm, like Northwestern Memorial, .org transplant.nm.org. There's a lot of information there and even living donor testimonials about the donation process. Um, the recovery from a living donation surgery is fairly quick. Uh, kidney donors go home the day after surgery. It's a laparoscopic, minimally invasive procedure. And generally, living organ donors are back, back to work in about two to three weeks doing what they normally do. So it's a fairly fast uh, recovery process. Now, donors, of course, need to have routine medical care for the rest of their lives to be monitored. And we, of course, encourage a healthy lifestyle after donation. Um, but donors can lead a very uh, normal life after they donate an organ. Um, so switching gear to deceased yeah, donation. Yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, please. So deceased for deceased donation, it's important to understand that you can donate, obviously, multiple organs, but not only organs, but tissues. So we think about hearts and kidneys and lungs and livers, and you can uh, donate up to eight organs to people if you die. But there's also tissues, things like heart valves and corneas. Up to 48,000 people last year had their sight restored from cornea transplants, which sometimes you don't even think about that, how amazing a gift that is to give someone back their sight. Um, and tendons and bones and skin can be donated to people who have severe burns or cancer. And so there are a lot of ways that uh, your one donation can touch so many lives. Uh, you know, I think that for many of us, you know, we, in my family, we have stories of being able to donate kidney, let's say, um, uh, especially for a member of the family that we're, we're an absolutely good fit. Um, but, you know, we're seeing that more and more the ability to conduct successful is the key word here. Transplants is more of a reality than it's ever been. How has the medicine slash technology slash procedures advanced? Right. I think at Northwestern Memorial Hospital, we've been tried to be a leader in the field in terms of advancing the science of transplantation. We've been one of the biggest and first uh, steroid-free transplant centers in the world. Uh, we've worked hard on people who have incompatible donors. We talk about, you know, your brother wants to give you a kidney, but he's the wrong blood type. Well, it turns out now he can still donate through one of our what we call kidney exchanges. And so we've done a lot to try to get more access for people to get a transplant when they need it to save their life and also make their lives better as a part of the process. Yeah, um, for, let's make sure that before we get so far ahead of ourselves that uh, folks know how to find out more information. I think that's important. Yeah, so they can go to our website, which is transplant.nm.org. And to go on the National Registry, there's a website called registerme.org, and that's where you can sign up to be a deceased donor when you die. Mm -hmm. um, I, I want to talk. I know we have a few minutes left. I want to talk about cell transplantation uh, for a minute. 
Um, you know, when we say cell transplantation, many people don't know what it is, but you know, there are procedures and there are science now available for looking at this, especially for diabetic patients. What is it and why would someone be a candidate for that? Yeah, great question. So people with diabetes, typically what we call juvenile onset or type 1 diabetes, um, don't make insulin. Their pancreas doesn't make insulin. That's a big problem. So um, what can be done is either transplanting an entire pancreas, what we call a whole organ pancreas transplant, or we can just transplant the cells that make insulin called islet cells, and that's called an islet cell transplant. And that's one of these cellular transplants. It's certainly less invasive because it's not a big surgical procedure. The islet cells are just infused into the bloodstream near the liver, um, and that can uh, cure the diabetes and get the person off of insulin. So um, we're working on ways to do less invasive but still effective uh, ways to cure people with you know, significant disease like diabetes. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you this question. What is on the horizon? And I love asking this question because, you know, we don't know what we don't know, but you're on the forefront of the science. You're on the forefront of the innovation. And what we've seen in the past decade in terms of success and changes and you know, opportunities and possibilities is outstanding. What are you most excited about for the future? Sure, that's a great question. And, you know, right now the field has come a long way, but we're still hampered by the fact that we have an immune system and anyone's, any other person's organ is seen as foreign tissue. And so we try to reject that tissue. And organ transplant recipients need to take immune suppressive medications, which have lots of side effects. And so the future, I think, where we're headed is uh, through stem cells. The ability to use stem cells to modulate the immune system so that we don't need anti-rejection medicines. And even the little bit more distant future, the idea of growing an organ from your own stem cells. The idea would be we grow your own kidney so it really is your tissue, and we put the kidney back inside of you when you need it. And so that would require no anti-rejection medicine um, and be available on demand. And we're working on that at Northwestern, working on developing and growing organs from stem cells. Yeah, I, I, I think that um, I, the reason I asked that question is because, you know, we are really watching nanotechnology and so many things being advanced so quickly now. Um, and it's important that we're talking about this because so many people now are hopeful that there are possibilities where there were none uh, and this is, you know, we're talking about a great alternative. Uh, one last question. Thank you for joining us here today. I would love to know, again, how to find out more and what's your personal message? You know, what do you want to leave people with today? Yeah. So first of all, for information, you can go to our website, transplant.nm.org or go to registerme.org to sign up to be on the national list for deceased donors. What I'd like people to know is that it's very easy to do and make today the day you go and sign up. The gift of life, you know, be the gift we say, be the gift today uh, to sign up or be the gift to be a living donor and really save someone's life. The impact is beyond measure. It's, it's really amazing. And it's fun for me to be, able to, to be able to witness it on a daily basis. Wow, I wanna thank you so much for getting out there. And I want to thank you for being the spokesperson to save lives. Thank you so much for today. Thank you for helping us get the word out there. I appreciate it. All right. We're going to take a short break, everyone. We'll be right back.
On the cutting edge of the new mainstream, Christine Upchurch is passionate about bringing together science, psychology, and spirituality in a way that can be applied to our everyday lives for true transformation. The Christine Upchurch Show, stellar conversations to illuminate your journey, engages some of the most outstanding visionaries on the planet in lively dialogue to inspire you to become that bright light you're meant to be. Join Christine every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on KKNW AM 1150 and Time. Radio. Tune in to the Jen Royster Show, intuitive guidance to inspire your life, each Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific and 11 a.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This amazing show is an inspirational hour that will take you on an epic metaphysical journey to discover the spiritual approach to life's greatest challenges. Dr. Jen is an internationally known intuitive counselor, spiritual teacher, and energy healer. Call in for intuitive readings and visit jenroyster.com for more information. Amber Teal, founder of The Healthy Edge, is bringing you the hit show Healthy Edge Radio, living with power, passion, and purpose. Amber provides the support and tools necessary for you to finally release the weight and emotions that are hidden beneath the weight. Tune in each month on Transformation Talk Radio. For more information on how you can take the next step with Amber, visit getthehealthyedge.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Dr. Pacho. This is our good news segment. Uh, so listen, all of you out there, if you haven't seen my big fat Greek wedding, one of the things you'll remember from that movie is this very close to the wedding scene when all of a sudden, what happens to the bride? Well, that's what today's show is about. Joining me here today, Dr. Laura Devgan, board-certified plastic surgeon out of New York City, my hometown, is joining us here today. Tips for the big day for the bride and the guests and everybody else that is getting ready for this. We're talking today about this pre-wedding skincare boot camp. Get your skin spring ready. Uh, Dr. Laura is somebody that is ranked Number one, as a female, we like to say a sister, cosmetic surgeon in New York, but more than that, clearly understands that there's something that we got to get our mojo on with. And then when we do, it's going to produce amazing, amazing results. Dr. Laura, thank you for joining me today. Uh, what, a, what a great message today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I think it's something that's really important because we all want to look and feel our best really every day of the year, but especially when it comes time to your big day, because that's, you know, one of the most frequently photographed days of your life. And don't you remember that scene from my big fat Greek wedding? And, you know, there she is and she wakes up that morning and boy, she got something on her face she didn't expect. Um, I think we all can resonate with that, whether it's your wedding day or a big event, especially in my arena when you're getting ready to do that video shoot and you look like you haven't slept for 10 days. Thank you for joining me here today. Okay, well, so let's talk, let's talk about brides-to-be, the bridal party, and the mother of the bride and everybody else that's out there. We spend time and money to look great, be great, and have a great event. But we just don't know the basics to prepare for. Tell us what some of those are. 
Yeah, the basics are really fundamental because that sets the framework for looking and feeling great. So you want to make sure that you are eating healthy foods, including fruits, vegetables, and antioxidants. You want to make sure that you're staying well hydrated. You want to make sure that you're exercising regularly, getting adequate sleep, and doing basic things like skin care and wearing SPF every day. And that's going to set the stage for looking and feeling really your absolute best. Yeah. Now, I think in today's world, we know that we get stressed. We know that we show up, that things happen to our skin. Uh, We look at ways that we can pull ourselves together at the last minute. But I agree with you. It has to start with what we're putting in our bodies. Um, You know, is there something, if if you were looking at this, right, what would you say enemy number one is for our skin? Who's enemy number one? Enemy number one is going to be the sun because that environmental damage from UV rays is going to give you sun damage. It's going to increase your cancer risk. It's going to give you fine lines, discoloration, dark spots. It's basically going to photo age you. So if you can stay away from the sun and that's the only thing you get out of this, then you're one step ahead. Yeah. And, you know, um, I've, I'm not even going to tell you what I used to do when I was in my 20s and 30s. That's another show. But, you, you know, I could do some I could do some things now. Um, what treatments, procedures do you recommend for people that, OK, let's say you got a few lines uh, going on in there. What can people do? Yeah, one of the most popular treatments in my practice is the use of Restylane, Refine, and Define, which are FDA-approved injectable fillers. And those can be used to actually fill in deep facial wrinkles and crevices, like, for example, the lines between the nose and the mouth that can make you look a little bit older or a little bit droopier or a little bit less flattering in photographs. So, you know, how how much, let me ask you your professional opinion here, how okay. much or slash how little do people know about what they should do with their skin? Now, I'm not saying I do this, but let's just get to it. How often do we as women go to bed at night and don't take our makeup off? Uh, tell me about that. Is that something we should be concerned about or not? Absolutely. I mean, you don't want to go to bed with a face full of makeup because it's going to clog your pores. It's going Mm -hmm. to increase your risk of comedones and acne, and it's going to give you dullness of your complexion. So washing your face at night is a really easy, inexpensive, very simple way to make sure that you're at least setting the night up for success. Mm -hmm. Well, before, listen, uh, how do people find out more about this? And then I want to ask you about what the treatments look like. What are some of the procedures? Because I think sometimes if people have more information, they're like all in. But before we get there, how can folks find out more about what we're talking about today? So it's always a great idea to ask a qualified healthcare professional in your area And if you're not exactly sure where to turn, WrestlingUSA.com is a very informative website that gives you a lot of basics as well as information on providers. Okay. Now, look, I I want to ask you this question. There are people that listen to the show from all age groups, all age categories. Um, And there's a wide range of whether or not people believe that taking care of their skin uh, at any age 
is 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 going to have a difference. And I want to ask you that question. Does the age treatments uh, that excuse me, do the treatments that we're talking about today, whether it's for a wedding or a large event, because we're getting ready for all of that with this spring season. Are there different things that we should be more mindful of depending upon where we are in our life cycle journey and let's just say legacy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I take care of patients who range in age from teens to 80s, 90s, and beyond. And I think that everything that we do in the modern era of aesthetic medicine is tailored to your unique anatomic characteristics and your desired results. So the idea that you will go see a healthcare professional and wind up looking plastic and overdone and crazy is kind of an outmoded concept because with this newest generation of fillers like the Restylane Refine and Define products, they're actually made with a specialized technology called expression technology. So the products themselves are pretty cool in the sense that they're structural enough to fill in a wrinkle, but they're flexible enough to move when you laugh or cry or smile. So, you know, if you're 20 years old, that's going to look different from if you're 70 years old. But we do have a whole armamentarium of products so that a treatment can be tailored to you and what you think looks good. Well, you know, this is really cool that you're saying this because you're right. People are changing um, their, let's say, their solution-based action they take in life. How about you? What point did you in your career, your life, I mean, you are definitely at the top when we talk about the doctors that have stepped into this game of helping us look better, feel better. But how about you? What was your passion? What pointed you in the direction that you're in today? Well, you know, as a woman who's interested in both art and science, to me, aesthetics and plastic surgery was the perfect marriage of those two fields because um, it really allowed me to have both interests at hand. Um, And I also think that as a woman and plastic surgeon, it's really empowering for me to help other women and men at any age point feel and look their best. You know, I think for so long it's been stigmatized, the idea that caring about your looks and caring about your brain is a zero-sum game. Like, you have to be a superficial plastic surgery junkie or a woman of substance. And I think we're kind of finally in this era in 2018 where you can be a smart, accomplished, educated person of either gender and still want to do a little something here or there to make yourself look and feel better. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And you you nailed it. You know, people want and will put in the time and the energy to look great and they will taste the action. I want to thank you for today. I know you've got to run off, but before I do, I would love to know your personal message, Dr. Laura. I would love to know what you'd like to leave us with today. Well, what I'd like to leave everyone with is whether you're getting ready for your wedding day or whether you're just getting ready to walk out the door in the morning and put your best foot forward and best face into the world, I think that there's nothing wrong with wanting to spend a little bit of time and energy on yourself and looking and feeling great. And maybe that energy will help you go into the world and accomplish more of your personal goals. Awesome. Uh, One last question. Website again, how can people find out more about wrestling and how can they find out more about you? Uh, WrestlingUSA.com. Um, and I think that's going to be a really great information source for everyone. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking this message out. Okay.
You are the best listeners on the planet, and it is an honor to connect with all of you. All right, everybody, we will see you next time. Oh, I beg, I beg and please sing him. Come out of things unsaid. Shoot an apple off my head and a trouble that can be made. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.